You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Good afternoon. You're in the longest service of the day, starts in the morning, finishes in the afternoon, so well done. Uh, It is an absolute, absolute joy to be with you again and to share with you, and uh, I love the privilege of being here. Thank you once again uh, for the honor of that. I I really uh, don't take it lightly. I I love getting invited anywhere. To get invited back again is always good. Um, So thank you, thank you. It it does feel a little bit like coming home, so I, I feel totally at home here. So well looked after. You guys, your hospitality, your honor is magnificent, and uh, you you treat me so well. So thank you so much. My friend John is with me. Uh, John has traveled with me. He's a wonderful man. He drives me around, looks after me, and uh, has been in different parts of the world with me. He's from Scotland, though he's he's lived in England most of his life, really, but he still has a strong Scottish accent. So if you need an interpreter, come and see me. I will help you with that. But, uh, but be nice to John, so he's here uh, with me uh, today. Now, as it's been said, we're continuing on. Just before I get to the teaching, uh, just uh, one minute just to, to let you know. Some of you have been asking, could you connect with me on social media about uh, the new book? So I've got a new book coming out uh, at the fir- probably the 1st of September. It looks like the date that we're going to launch it, and it's called Beyond Broken finding power in the pain. And so if you are interested in that, I'll be back to CLM later on in the year, so you can grab it then. Uh, But if you would like to get a copy sent to you, a pre-order copy, then you can grab that at the back and you can fill in a form and we'll sort that out for you if you are interested. But if you would pray for the launch of the book, we feel it's a very powerful message and hopefully it will help uh, lots of Christians as they go forward in their faith with the Lord Jesus. So, We're going to continue with this little mini-series. We started it last week, and as has been said, uh, if you missed that, grab the podcast, and it'll put some stuff into perspective for you. And I'm going to uh, carry on this week by looking at the idea of following the leader. So we looked last week at the myth of limitless living, that I can be anyone, that I can do anything, that I can Uh, go anywhere, that I can produce at any time. They were the sorts of issues that we looked at last week. And we looked at the fact that actually in our world, God wants to put put us into good boxes. There are some nasty boxes that we want rid of, and we talked about some of those, but we're talking about the good boxes. And, and sometimes we have this idea that, that there is no box, that actually uh, we, we, we should have this, this uh, idea that there's nothing that can limit us. Yet when we engage with the Bible, uh, actually, we see over and over again this concept that I, I've got to learn to live with or work with or invite God into my limitation. So we started that last week. And uh, today we're going to, to look at Jesus. Even Jesus had a box. And uh, that might seem like a bit of a contradiction to begin with, but hopefully as we go this morning, uh, it will help you. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow it with me, I'm going to read from Philippines chapter 2. Now, I'm not going to teach from this passage, but it will set up the other bits of passages of the Bible about Jesus that I want to talk about. So this gives us a bit of a platform, really. So if you've got a Bible, uh, grab it and follow it with me. So it's Philippines chapter 2, and I'll start reading from verse 5. 
and it says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, last week, we finished with this sort of image, the image of the Doctor Who's TARDIS. And here's what we said, that, that actually God's boxes for our world are good boxes. And if we will have the courage to step into God's box, even though it feels restrictive to begin with, and even though it may feel like we're giving something up or giving something away, or laying something down for him. The incredible, wonderful, glorious paradox of the gospel is this. If you step into God's box, your world will get bigger than you ever imagined. So it feels like you're giving something of your autonomy away. It feels like you're giving something of your own ability to lead your own life away. Yet actually the Bible teaches us it's the wisest, it's the smartest, cleverest thing we can do as a human being. Because when you step into God's box, rather than your life becoming smaller, a bit like the Doctor Who TARDIS, your possibilities, your opportunities, your life in God actually gets bigger. And if you don't know about the TARDIS, essentially it's a police box on the outside, but when you step into it, it's this sort of almost never-ending world, really, and everyone's shocked every time they walk into it because it's not what they expected. Now, when we think of Jesus, we don't think of TARDIS. We don't think that idea because Jesus is the Son of God, and therefore when he comes to, work, to the earth, he is God in flesh, therefore he can do whatever he needs to do, and he can do anything. Yet... Strangely speaking, when we look at Jesus, we find exactly the same principle. We find that Jesus, God in flesh, has to step into a box. That in fact, when we look at the Gospels, we see over and over again, God in flesh living in boxes. And yet, from those boxes, God is able to change the world. That's the incredible encouragement for us. And sometimes we don't look at Jesus because, well, you know, it feels like when we talk like this, we're being slightly irreverent or, or maybe slightly heretical to talk like this. But actually, the gospels show us, Paul introduces this to us. He says, Jesus became in very nature human. And so the paradox of the incarnation when Jesus, when God the Son became flesh is this, that he's fully God, absolutely 100%. And yet he's absolutely 100% fully human. And the two things somehow work together. Now, don't ask me to explain it. It's the greatest theological mystery of the scriptures, I think. But, but it works. And somehow all this godness gets squeezed into this human person. And yet, even though there is obvious limitation, God manages to save the world in and through this limitation. 
And by looking at Jesus, I want to encourage us as we go forward. Look at the words on the screen. Though a limitless God, Jesus learned to live and operate successfully in the limitation of his humanity. What an incredible idea that is. We don't tend to think of that because it's Jesus. But if we slow the story down and just have a little bit of look at him, we discover actually Jesus contended with quite a lot of boxes. Here, here's the first box I want you to see Jesus had. He had a physical box. We've alluded to this already. I love what John says when describing Jesus. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now the word there, if you're not sure, that's God the Son before he becomes Jesus. So Jesus is the human face of God the Son, all right? So, so before eternity, God the Son existed. So, so the Son of God is eternal, self-existent, all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present as, as the Son of God, right? But that Son of God who existed before the world began, and in fact, the Bible teaches us, helped create the world that we are in, then gets poured into a human personhood. And so you've got this self-existent creator God who's all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present, now living in a human space. Here's how the message puts it. I love this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that idea of Jesus just moving next door to me. It's just so cool, right? Uh, but he moved into the neighborhood. Now, now, what the message is trying to grab there is the ordinariness of this glory, that somehow the glory of God is wrapped up in this human box. Now, it's an incredible thought to think that Jesus once looked like that. So the king we've been singing about today, the savior of the universe, the one who has saved our lives, at one point in history looked something like that. Now that's not him. Uh, there were no ultrasounds. In case some of you rush up afterwards, can I have that? Um, no, that's not him. You can't have it. And you can't bow down to it because it isn't him. Okay, so it, it's just a, a, an ordinary ultrasound of, of a baby. But, but actually, that's, if Mary had been taken into hospital and they ultrasound her, Jesus would have looked something like that. Now, here's the incredible thought. The creator of the universe looked like that. The self-existent, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God looked like that. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's a mind-blowing idea. And if you wanted to see of the world, that's not the way to do it. Because that's vulnerable. That's weak. Uh, God, the creator of the universe, is now reliant on his mother's nutrients to get born. What a thought. When he got born, someone cut the cord. And then when he cried, his mother picked him up and put the creator of the universe on her breast. And he sucked some milk. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? So if you wanted to save the world, this is not the way to do it. Yet God chose what seems to be an illogical way in order to save us. And, and what he does is he pours himself into this 
body box. And here, here's what we learn from this. The body box meant that God in flesh could only be in one place at one time. So if Jesus was at Nazareth, he couldn't be in Jerusalem. If he's in Jerusalem, he can't be in Bethany. If he's in Bethany, he can't be in Bethsaida. Where, wherever he is, that's the only place he can be. What a thought. That, it feels illogical, and yet through that apparent illogical idea, God saved the world. A man, God-man, limited to one place at one time where the human body saved the world. Wow. Well, John, what's that got to do with me? Well, I think, I think there's a message to you and me in that, that actually, actually in the same way that God became limited to a human body and yet still managed to fulfill an eternal plan so we and, me and you can do that. Now, now, we're different from Jesus in that we're not God in flesh, but we've got the same human limitation. The same human limitations that Jesus had, you have, and the same human limitations you have, he had. In, in the broadest sense. I know there are some specifics in the room. This, this is a picture of, some of you may recognize her, Joni, uh, Erickson uh, Tada, she really influenced me as a young person growing up. And her story is amazing. 17 years of age, uh, she dived into a, an open natural pool of water, didn't realize it was shallower than she thought, hit her head on the bottom straight on and fractured her neck and was from that moment on a paraplegic from the neck down. Now you look at that picture, you wouldn't think that, would you? And she's stunning, gorgeous. But actually, uh, this woman is completely paralyzed or was completely paralyzed from the neck down. So, but yet, she's become an author. She can paint magnificent paintings with her mouth. She's traveled all over the world and spoken to literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. She's a great singer and has re released albums over the years. She's also a wife, an incredible influence, and has been an inspiration to millions upon millions of people. But I'll put money on it as she lay on that bed as a 17-year-old uh, when she was told for the very first time, you're a paraplegic. You will never actually be able to, to function in any meaningful way below your neckline. I'm sure she thought her life was over. And yet, the story that is told is that her life has just begun. Now, I've used two extreme examples. God in flesh, that's pretty extreme. Uh, and Joni Erickson Tada, a paraplegic from the neck down, that's pretty extreme, but the two extremes prove the point. So what's your excuse? What's my excuse? And if we're not careful, we allow a box that we live in, our physical being, to, to limit God when actually God is not limited by that box. He wants to step into your physicality. He wants to step into your world, and He wants to do something with it. He wants to do something in it, and He wants to do something through it. But, 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 and it's a big but, we must give it to Him. The Lord can use your body box if you give it to Him. 
And give it, now, now listen, let me just say something before I move on. If, if the Lord's given you a healthy body, if you've got a healthy body and, and it's functioning well, then we have a responsibility to look after that body. So I want to say to people with, with a good measure of health, take care of your body. Because the more we can take care of that physically, I think theoretically at least, the more we can do for God when he asks us to do it. Is that a fair comment? But, but some of us in the room, or we know someone in our world who for one reason or another, uh, their body doesn't work as well as they would like it to. Uh, and, and here's the thing, uh, we're not disqualified from the work of a limitless God, whatever our physical context. So, so whether we are super fit and healthy, or, or whether we feel our, our body is a, a hindrance to us, the Bible teaches us through the extreme of God in flesh, and maybe, maybe we're taught through the example, the modern example of Joni, that actually God can step into your body box and still use you, still do something amazing for you, in you, and through you. But we've got to invite him in. And so often we try to fight the limitation of our physicality, and, and I get that, but, but maybe if we just invited God into our physicality and said, God, this is, this is where I'm at, this is what I've got, how can this be used for your glory? I think that starts to change everything. Amen? So, so Jesus was limited in flesh, and yet from his limited flesh, he changed the world. Think of what God could do with you and your body box. Here's the second box that Jesus lived in. He lived in a place box. So this says this in, in Luke uh, chapter 2, and it's dead easy to miss this little bit of detail. You just read the Gospels, and you're rushing on to the exciting bit, but it says this in, in Luke 2, 51. It says that Jesus, he went down to Nazareth, and then it goes on to say, where he was obedient to them. That's his parents. So he's just been in Jerusalem as a 12-year-old, and then it says he went down to Nazareth. Now, he spends the next 18 years of his life in Nazareth. And, and of course, for me and you reading that, so what? We say, you know, it's like living in Coventry, or it's like living in Birmingham, or, it's, you know, so what? It's just a place. But actually, when you slow down and you examine the detail, you find out it's not just a place. Some very significant facts about this place which are well worth knowing. If you and I went back to the first century world, found a coffee shop and managed to hook on the Wi-Fi and Googled, uh, you know, uh, Google help me with Nazareth, then, then Google would respond this way uh, to you. Nazareth, where's that? Now, Nazareth was so small that it wasn't even on the map of its day. It's that, that small. So probably 300 less people lived in Nazareth. Remember, the reason Joseph took Mary and Jesus there was to get away from the tyranny of Herod. So he took them to a nowhere place that didn't even have a postcode, that didn't even have anything exciting going on. He deliberately took them to a nondescript, small, out of the way, hard to find, no one wants to go to place. He, he did that deliberately. And Jesus grew up there. Jesus, the Son of God. God in flesh, the Savior of the world, spent 30 years of his life in a world that to the, to, to the world around him did not exist. It was a nowhere place. No one ever woke up saying, do you know what? Let's go to Nazareth for the day. Oh, I want to move to Nazareth. Let's go there. If anyone moved 
as regard to Nazareth, it was to move out. Uh, generally speaking, not to move in. Now look, here's the Roman world that Jesus grew up with. So, so, so that sort of light color on the map, that's the, that's the Roman Empire. So in Jesus' lifetime, as he grew up, uh, Rome conquered Britain. It was literally being conquered as Jesus was growing up as a young man. It would have been on the news of his day. Uh, and note that, note that the Romans did not conquer Ireland. Do you see that? Look, look, that's us up there. There we are. Come on, AJ. Come on. Uh, and my Scottish friend, my Scottish friend reminded me, neither did they conquer Scotland. Now, of course, they built a big wall there. Uh, and some would say that was to keep the Scots out. Or others might say that was to stop sensible Romans going in. Uh, whatever, whatever way you think about it. But, but some may say they, they, they wouldn't have wanted to conquer Scotland or Ireland. But in Jesus' lifetime, this empire is expanding. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, it's just conquering the known world. Uh, and so where's Jesus living in all of this? Well, this is his country here, right here. The most eastern side of the empire. Not very exciting. Romans didn't even want to go there. So it's a very unattractive part of the world as far as the Romans are concerned. And Jesus grew up there. But, but I want you to see uh, that, that as we zoom in on that, uh, Jesus grows up here in Nazareth. Uh, and if I were to break that map down for you, Nazareth is off the trading routes of his day. It's not a natural pathway. In fact, you don't sort of accidentally bump into Nazareth on the way to somewhere. So to get to Nazareth, you've got to climb up over the hills and goes down into the valley. It's a nowhere place. To use our language today, it is a place without a postcode. You send a letter to Nazareth, it gets lost. Because no one knows where it is, unless you know where it is. So what does that mean, John? What's your point? Well, I want you to see something powerful. Jesus lived in an insignificant village, in an undistinguished region, and in an unfashionable nation, and yet changed the world. Think about it. See, we don't think like this about Jesus because Jesus is Son of God. But actually, think about the world Jesus grew up in. It was mundane, ordinary, and very, very, very brutal. It was a difficult, hard world that he grew up in. And added to that, it was a nowhere place. John, what's your point? Well, God can use you even if the world doesn't know your postcode. Even if your postcode's awful and, and rubbish and, and useless. You know, some of you in this room may be living in desirable postcodes in the area. And others of you may be living in a postcode. And the only reason you're there is because you can't afford to get out. I, I, I grew up in a postcode like that. That's my postcode. BT13, 3EP. Top of the Shankill Road in Northern Ireland. And I've been given just a wonderful honorable introduction this morning, and I sometimes listen to that introduction, and I'm, I'm thrilled, and I'm, I'm, I receive it with the spirit in which it's given, but I sort of have to pinch myself sometimes that, that you were talking about me, right? I, I mean that sincerely, because I know where I'm from. I know where I came from. I know my upbringing. I know my background. I know, I know the world I started in. Uh, I, I remember taking my children back to where I was born, and they were in a little bit of shock, because they'd never quite seen anything uh, like that. So, so this, is, this is the house I grew up in. 
Now, it wasn't like that when I lived in it, the one in the middle. Obviously, we, you know, we had windows and doors and stuff. But that's the house I grew up in, ordinary uh, mid-terrace house, um, right on a peace line. So Catholics lived over there, Protestants lived over here, and we built a big wall in between it that we affectionately called the peace line. Bit of an oxymoron because there was never any peace on that line, but it was there anyway. And that's the world I grew up in. And if you'd have said to the, to the wee boy that grew up in that, that house that one day you'd be doing stuff like this, that, that one day you'd write a book, or that one day you'd, you'd travel the nations in the world that he didn't even know existed when he was eight or nine years of age. I, I mean, I don't know how I would have reacted to that. I, I, I'd no, I had no comprehension of what God could do with my postcode. I, I mean, th- this, is, this is me. That's a British soldier in the Troubles. I grew up with soldiers on the streets. I grew up with death on the streets. I grew up with things that, and seeing things that, you know, I would rather have not have seen. And that's me, uh, leaning down, looking through uh, the sight of a rifle, of a British soldier. It's me. Yeah. And yet when most people only, only sort of get to see me doing stuff like this, with my, with my wonderful title, Dr. John and the books, and the stuff, and the bits, and the pieces, but actually, actually, that's me there. The person you see before you is the person that God came into and said, actually, I'm not limited by your postcode. I know where you live, in the proper sense of the word. I know where you live. I can step into your postcodeless world, and I can make something of you if you will invite me in. Now, you can fight your postcode, or you can invite God into it. If you fight your postcode, you'll find yourself caught up with a fight that you'll never win. You'll never, ever win. Even when you get a better postcode, you'll still not be satisfied. But, but actually, invite God into your world. Invite God into your background. Invite God in to, to who you are. And some of you, can I say this carefully, may be making excuses because of your background, where you came from, what you didn't have, what was done to us. And I'm not minimizing anybody's pain. I'm with you. I hear you. I understand you. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But, but we cannot make our postcode an excuse, either past or present. Because Jesus lived in a postcodeless world and changed the world. So my encouragement to you today is that the Lord can use your place box if you invite him in. Amen? And and listen, can I say this? If you invite the Lord into your place box, this might happen to you. He might so empower you that you end up leaving that place box and going literally somewhere else. That's what happened to me. I ended up, you know, uh, literally uh, going to another world. But, but sometimes when we invite God into our box, the postcode doesn't change, but we do. And for some of you, you won't want to hear this, but it is the word of, Lord for, uh, the, word of the Lord for maybe somebody in the room. Your postcode's not going to change because God's put you there to change the postcode, to change that context. And actually, when we see ourselves differently in the world that we live, God can use us differently in the world we live. Does that make sense? So Jesus grew up in a nowhere place and changed the world. Come on. He's the most famous person on planet earth. And he grew up in a village without a postcode. Come on. That's the God we serve. 
That's the God we serve. Come on now. That's the God. Yeah, that's Jesus. Yeah, but that's you too. That's me too. That's what he can do with us if we invite him into our world. Are you with me? Third box, the process box. Now this, we don't like this one so much, but we'll go with it anyway. I want you to see this again. It's found in Luke's gospel. Luke 3, 23 says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Now, it's one of those, again, little incidental details, it seems, as we're rushing to the exciting part of the story. We, we just don't notice that 30 years old bit. But I'm one of those people, I love detail. I, I, love, I spot that stuff. And so I ask the question, you know, why is that important? Uh, and why did Luke put that in? And why do we need to know that? Uh, and there's some real sort of technical and important answers to that question, which we could go with this morning. But, but I want you to see just this one idea. Jesus, God in flesh, for whatever reason, waits until he is 30 to begin his ministry. Now, now yesterday I watched a program um, about uh, uh, star-studded children, children as young as 9 and 10, who have been spotted all over the world and brought into to America to do this show and show off their talent. And uh, amazing stuff. I mean, incredibly talented uh, children. And, and I'm sort of thinking about Jesus and thinking, well, why couldn't Jesus have done that? Why did Jesus not start his ministry at 9? God in flesh, you could start at any time, right? Why couldn't Jesus start his ministry at 13, 15, 18, 21? They're all decent ages. Why, why couldn't Jesus start his ministry then? Now, now, we could talk all day about why and why not, but the point is he waits until he is 30 to go. So for 30 years, he lives inside a process box. He submits himself to the timeline of God over his life, even though he's ready to go. He's got everything he needs to go and change the world. And yet he submits to the timeline of the Father so that the Father's will can be done in him. Jesus couldn't operate to his own schedule. He had to wait for God's time. That's one of the toughest boxes to live in. And I looked at those gorgeous kids yesterday and a, a thought came to me. Uh, and it was this, you know, uh, one of the most dangerous things for any human being is that success comes to them before they're ready. Isn't it? Yeah. And actually there's something about a timeline that brings us to a, a place of readiness. And this is part of God's work with our life. We can't, we can't just jump to the end of the journey. We've got to go through the journey with him. And I would, I would say to you that in following Jesus, the process of the journey is as important. I know you know this, but it is as important as whatever destination you're trying to get to. And we tend to sort of get irritated with the process of the journey when actually that's a crucial part of the destiny of God for our lives. So living in Nazareth when no one was looking was as important for Jesus as when he stood on the hillside and said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're both equally as important. It's just that one we see with thousands of people watching and the other one, nobody's looking. But they're both, they're both, they're both part of his destiny. Come on, are you with me? Yeah. Jesus said, my time is not yet here for you, 
any time will do. And that's, that's our weakness as humans. We, we want to rush it along. Come on, God. Come on now. I'm ready. Let's rush this thing along. But actually, one of the, one of the greatest challenges we need to settle in our lives is to, is to submit to God's process for us. And walk his way in the journey. If you'd have met a 17-year-old Joseph, he would never have chosen the process that God chose. And why would you? And as humans, one of our greatest weaknesses is we want to constantly step out of that process box. I'm, I'm just fed up waiting. Now, I may be the only one in the room doing that, but I'm fed up waiting. Come on, I, I was born for this. Let's get on with this. And yet there are moments when the Lord just just holds us in the box because he wants us uh, to grow with him. Anyone recognize the picture on the screen? Nobody? Wow. It's one of the most famous places on the planet. That's the Petronas Towers in Kuala Lumpur. Magnificent sight. Well worth a look if you ever go to KL. And a couple of years ago, I was in KL teaching, and uh, I took uh, my two oldest kids with me. That's the silhouette of us against that. And... Uh, and we had an amazing time. But, but I sort of, they'd never been on this length of a journey before. So they'd all been to Africa before, but they'd never been to the Far East. And I had to sort of say to them, now look, look, you've got to get your head into this flight. It's a long way. So we went from Birmingham via Dubai to Kuala Lumpur on Emirates. Uh, with the breaks at Dubai to catch our flight, it was 22 hours. It doesn't, doesn't sound like much when you say it quickly. That's a long time. There's only so many movies you can watch on a plane, isn't there? There's only so many Cokes you can have before you're about to explode out of the plane. All right. So it's like, wow, that's amazing. And, and because I've done the Far East many times, I'm like psychologically just getting myself ready, massaging my buttocks just to make sure they're ready for the long flight ahead. And of course, my, my kids are just pumped with adrenaline and excitement. But actually, if you want to be able to take the selfie at Petronas Towers in Kuala Lumpur, then you have to make the journey. I mean, you can Photoshop it if you want, but it's not real. <laughs> so, so if you want to get there, you've got to go through here. <sighs> Do I have to? Yeah, that's the only way. Humans haven't yet invented another way to get there without going through here. And when Jesus stands on the mountain, when Jesus uh, touches uh, the leper, when Jesus raises the dead, everybody goes, wow, what nobody saw was the fact that when nobody was looking, he lived here. And he lived well, and he gave his life to the timeline that, that must have potentially at least, or theole the theoretically at least, frustrated him as a human being, and yet he goes through God's process. Uh, and, and we must learn this principle that, that to get there, we have to live through here. Now, some of you are living through here right now. Now, we're all living through here, but some of you know what I mean. You're right in the middle of pressure. You're right in the middle of a hard time. You're right in the middle of frustration. You're right in the middle of what is God doing? Because I know what he's promised me. And I know where this is going. I know what's on me. I know what's... And yet in the middle of this, there's this frustration. And actually, don't fight it. Invite God into it. 
may not change the moment you're in, but it'll change you in the moment. And changing you in the moment may be the thing that's God's after. And we don't like to think that. We just want to get there, don't we? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Let's get there. But, but the Lord is not just interested in getting me there. He wants to get me there ready. That's a hard box. That's, a t- that's one of the toughest boxes you'll ever encounter. And some of you need to stop fighting the timeline. Start inviting God into the timeline. The Lord hasn't suddenly forgotten about you. Where did you go? He was there a minute ago. No, the Lord knows where you are. He knows exactly where you live. He knows exactly what's going on. And he's absolutely relentlessly committed to your success. So, so, so actually, if in your midst of something you don't understand, invite him into it and say, Lord, help me to get through this. Help me to walk through this. Help me to get through this flight. And then eventually we'll get off the plane. Amen? All right, here's the last one and we're finished. And then we'll pray. The purpose box. This is ultimately what God's after for our lives. Look, look at these words of Jesus. They're staggering. He says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he adds this, uh, he, he adds, and to finish his work. Now, if you read that carefully, he's, he's saying, uh, actually, I'm eating the Father's food and I'm doing the Father's work. Now, that's amazing, theologically, it's an amazing idea because here's God in flesh and you would think if anybody could have the right to do it, the one, it's sort of him. And yet Jesus, God in flesh says, no, no, the only food I eat is the food that he puts in front of me and the only work I do is the will of the Father. So Jesus literally resists the temptation to do other things. It's amazing to see the places Jesus went And it's amazing to see the people that Jesus touched. It's also a fascinating story to look at the places he didn't go to and the people he didn't touch. And actually, that's that's, that's a hard one. And it seems to represent this idea that Jesus is so secure in the will of his Father for his life that he's prepared to only do what the Father puts in front of him. What an incredible idea that is. That, that's a box. The reality is that Jesus just couldn't do what he wanted. He had to do what the Father wanted. Um, on the screen for you is a no-brainer choice for me. So at the center of the screen, I don't know if it's coming out very clearly, but at the center of the screen, there are four Ferrera Roche. I love Ferrera Roche. I could eat a box of Ferrera Roche by my self. And if you tried to take one, I would kill you uh, in defense of it. I love Ferrer Rocher. I don't even have to think about it. It's just, it's the will of God for me to eat Ferrer Rocher. The Ferrera Rocher is surrounded by sprouts. Now, you know, you talked about uh, a wedding reception here next week and, and all sorts of goodies. I'll put money on it. There's no sprouts at the reception. Now, if I'm wrong, someone can grab me when I come back next time. If there are sprouts at the reception, my response would be, why? Why would you do, why would you do that to people who've turned up to your wedding? Okay, don't, don't do that to them. So when I get to heaven, I will ask the Lord, why? So the only time, Lisa talked about Christmas, the only time I, I eat a sprout is Christmas Day. It's genuinely, I'm not making this up, it's true. And my wife makes me eat about three. And uh, 
and just to say that I've done it. You know, all right, I've eaten the sprout. And she covers it with all wonderful sauces and puts all sauce, and I eat the sprout. But when I get to heaven, I will ask Jesus, why? Why sprouts? They're awful. Now, I know somebody, somebody's going to come at me, really offended. You'll have missed everything I've said in the sermon, everything about Jesus, and you'll just be upset about the sprout conversation, because that happens in churches all the time. So people, please don't come at me. If you're a sprout lover, knock yourself out. Just don't do it around me. All right, so keep your sprouts to yourself. Now, if sprouts are put in front of me and Ferrero Rocher is put in front of me, I don't need to think about it. I'm eating the Ferrero Rocher. Because that's what I want. And what I want is for God always to put Ferrero Rocher in front of me. But here's what I've discovered in my life, that my heavenly Father who loves me passionately and wants the best for me every now and again puts sprouts on the table. And he says, eat it. I don't want to eat it. I hate sprouts. Eat it. Now, now that doesn't make him vindictive. He's a good father. He loves me. And he's making me eat something or asking me to eat something because it will be good for me in the long run. But you and I know the reason people are nodding and is because you know that, that that's true. That actually you've been made to eat things by the Father or let's put it better, you've been asked to eat things by the Father you just didn't want to eat. Jesus knelt in a garden and he said, if it's possible that I don't have to drink this cup. Could you take it away? And every single gospel writer reflects back that there was complete silence from heaven. God doesn't answer. Drink it. Drink it. And here's the, here's the challenge for me and you as followers of Jesus. Every now and again, he wants us to eat something or drink something that we don't really want to eat or drink. It's not going to kill us. Sprouts won't kill you. And we want to resist that box. And actually, that's a box of life. That's not a small box, a bad box, or a destructive box. That's a box that's ultimately going to take me somewhere where God's will and purpose will be performed. The Father's food became His food, and the Father's work became His will. That's the ultimate box. That's the ultimate box. But that box is restrictive. You can't do what you want in that box. But it's the best box you and I can enter into. So if we eat the food he gives us, we will have the life he's designed for us. Now, all of us in the room, probably if you're honest, want the life God has for us. But we're not always keen on the sprouts. Do I have to? Do I have to eat that? Well, if you want the life I have for you, yes. It's up to you. And that's a box we enter into. So as I draw this to a close, I'm going to ask that you band, you want to come back to me? Are you with me? We're literally just going to pray in just a moment. What, what lessons did we learn from last week and this week when we jam them all together? Just three summary lessons I want you to get. Lesson number one, and it's a magnificent lesson. The box 
doesn't need to be a barrier. Stop looking at the box in your world. The God box is a barrier. Actually, the Bible teaches us if we embrace it properly, it can be an opportunity for us, not a barrier to us. I love this, that when we live well, people don't notice the boxes. What a thought that is. That whatever your limitation, when we live well for Jesus, people don't notice the limitation. They just see the expression. Wow. Here's the second lesson I want you to get, which is really important. You can succeed whatever the box. Whatever the box. I'm telling you now, without fear of contradiction from anybody in the room, you can succeed whatever the box. But the challenge is not necessarily to fight the box. That's what lots of us do. The challenge is to invite God into the box. Bring Him in. Bring Him in to your postcode. Bring Him in to your physicality. Bring Him in to your disappointment. Bring Him in to what feels like the limitation. Invite Him in. My, my mother-in-law has this as a little uh, fridge magnet on her fridge. How can I fly with eagles when I'm surrounded by turkeys? Well, it's not what's around you that determines if you can fly. It's what's within you. You may literally be surrounded, forgive me, by turkeys right now in your world. Think this is terrible. You can still fly. But you won't fly by criticizing the turkeys. When has that ever worked? Hate these turkeys. Well, that's not going to help you to fly. What's going to help you to fly is to realize you can in Christ, regardless of the turkeys who live in your world. Make sense? Here's the last lesson. Lesson number three. The box may limit you, but it does not limit God. And actually, we've seen demonstrated in the life of Jesus that God is able to take what looks like an impossible limited situation, a physical limitation, a place limitation, a process limitation, and a purpose limitation. It all looks impossible. All of that within a little country in the back end of nowhere. And yet, through all of that limitation, the world was saved. And He can do that with me and you. When our ability stops, God's power begins. I don't just stand with me. been an absolute honor over the last couple of weeks to share the Word of God with you. And I hope it's made sense to you. But actually, I, I want it to be more than sense. I, I want it to be a means at which you can invite God into your world, into your limitation, into the box you feel. For some of you, it's going to be about stepping into God's box. So some of you in the room, you know what God's saying to you, and you're literally having to step out of your desire, the Ferreira Roche moment, and into His desire for you. But for others in the room, it's about inviting God into the box. And I, I just want to say this. I want to just really emphasize this. It's not about fighting the box. It's about inviting God into the box. And when we invite God in, if it's a bad box, He can destroy it. 
when we invite God in, if it's his box, he will expand it. And so Holy Spirit, I pray for every man and woman, boy and girl in this auditorium today. We all live in boxes. And Lord, for some of us in this room, your spirit is speaking and the challenge is to step out of their own designed box and into the box you have for them, the box of your purpose, the box of your process, the box of your destiny for their lives. And I pray that you will give them the faith and the courage and the vision and the clarity to do so. That they will step into the purpose you have for them, that they will eat the food you have put before them. I pray for others in this room, Lord, who feel uh, so limited by the situations around them or even by the, the feelings within them. Lord, I pray that by faith they will invite you into the box, into the box of their physicality, into the box of their postcode, into the box of the process they're currently in, into the frustrations, into the shortcomings. They will invite you into the box. And that, Lord, as they do so, perhaps your power will come to them, not only transforming the situation, but transforming them in the situation. For some of you, the postcode will not change, but you will change. And you changing will change your postcode. Hear the word of the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, thank you for Jesus, who lived in a nowhere place, restricted to the limitation of a human body. And when no one was looking, he stepped into the box of heaven and saved the world. And I pray that we will imbibe the attitude of Jesus, that we will imbibe the courage of Jesus, that we will imbibe the faith of Jesus to invite you into our limitation and that through that limitation, in that limitation, you will manifest your glory and your power. So Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.